Church, it's uh, so good to be back with you. I had a fantastic time at a conference that I was speaking at. Um, it was Friday and Saturday. Thank you for praying. The many of you that, that prayed, I felt uh, supported in prayer and felt like it was a successful time as we got to focus our attention on uh, the church. Um, Philip DeCourcy was the main plenary speaker, and several of us were workshop uh, speakers and uh, really enjoyed basically taking what we've been doing here the last several weeks to the conference, and uh, I trust the Lord will, will use that greatly. Well, even uh, this morning as I got to meet some new folks, I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that the Lord uh, works in our church. You know, Jess and I were just talking the other day about how difficult it is because we're anticipating saying goodbye to several people. You know, we've got people in the military who, uh, who come and go, and we know that there's several that are uh, preparing to depart, and we get kind of sad about that. You know, you, you build these relationships, and you, you have this discipleship going on, and you're blessed by these families, and our kids are blessed by families, and um, inevitably people have to go when they're here for the military. And so that's sad, but we also have people who are here that are not in the military that are leaving, and so we're going to have an opportunity to say goodbye to one of our members, Noah, who is moving out of the state, and so we'll bring him up later. But uh, when you have an opportunity, go and meet someone that you haven't met. Uh, go shake their hand, give them a hug, make sure they feel welcomed, and uh, answer any questions they have about our church. Well, we're diving back into this topic of uh, spiritual gifts. We've spent the last two weeks, we've kind of taken... Just a little break from our study in Philippians, but we'll return to that, Lord willing, next week. But we're still looking at spiritual gifts. And let me just uh, share with you what William McRae wrote in his book, Dynamics of Spiritual Gift. He tells the story of a football coach by the name of Bud Wilkerson. He was the football coach of Oklahoma University. And then he got a job, uh, basically a promotion, as the president's physical fitness advisor. And he was asked during an interview, he said this, or he was asked this, what contribution does professional sports make to the physical fitness of Americans? And I think they were maybe anticipating that here's a guy who's been a coach in football and he's going to be able to bring a lot of that wisdom and know-how to the physical fitness of America. And to no one's surprise, he answered this. He said, very little. He said, a professional football game is a happening where 50,000 spectators desperately needing exercise sit in the stands watching 22 men on the field desperately needing rest. Maybe you've heard that before, but I think that is sadly true of a lot of churches today. You have a host of spectators and just a handful of participants. There are literally hundreds, even thousands of people sitting in Sunday morning services, and that's all they're going to do is they're just going to sit. They're not involved, they're not, they're not being activated for the kingdom. They're basically just fans of the professionals, quote-unquote professionals. They expect to be fed by the ministers. They forgot, or maybe they've just never been taught that God has called each and every one of them to participate in gospel ministry. See, too many Christians have settled, I think, for far less than what God intends for each believer and I'll just say this, pastors are guilty as well. Guilty of never equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Guilty of never tapping into the potential of peoples in the pew. The reason some churches have very little impact on advancing the gospel 
is because many Christians just never discover, they never develop, and they never deploy their spiritual gifts. It's unhelpful, church. It's unhelpful to be underutilized when we have such a great commission. But on the other hand, how sweet it is when we understand what our gifts are and we deploy them in the Lord's service and we advance the kingdom using the very gifts that God has given us. Well, what we've done so far is we looked at the definition of spiritual gifts. And if you think back to two weeks ago, we said a spiritual gift is a unique enablement sovereignly given by God that is supernatural in nature for the purpose of service to the body, and all of that is governed by Scripture. Last week, we kind of surveyed those gifts. We said that there's basically three categories of gifts. You have those serving gifts, those speaking gifts, and those sign gifts. Today, we want to take that information and ask three more questions, basically looking at three more headings. So our outline for this morning is this. The discovery now of your spiritual gift. We're asking the question, how can I identify my spiritual gift? The development of your spiritual gift. Here we're asking the question, how can we grow our spiritual gifts and do that effectively? And then finally, the deployment of our spiritual gift. How can I actually put my gift to use? So that's where we're going this morning. Would you please join me and let's pray one more time and ask for the Lord to direct our time. Father, uh, we're praying because uh, we need it. We need your help. We're desperate for uh, clarity. We're desperate for uh, the Spirit's power in our lives. And so, just uh, as Tim prayed, all the amount of study, and even if we're listening well, we recognize that no good spiritual work will be done apart from your Spirit. And so we trust that. We believe that. And so we need you to help us. Would you give us clarity, understanding, and not just fill our minds with new information, God, but fill our resolve and our convictions with an eagerness to obey and to fulfill your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin with the discovery of your spiritual gift. You see, the challenge many people have when it comes to discovering their spiritual gifts is that there's no place in Scripture where you can just go to that says explicitly, this is how you discover your spiritual gift. In fact, what we see is, to the contrary, Paul is emphasizing three important things. He wants to highlight the source of the gift, which is the triune God, and we talked about that. The purpose of the gift, which is for the edification and building up of the body. And then the goal of the gift, which is God's glory. And you say, but where do I like discover it? Where's, where's the instruction manual for that? There are no explicit New Testament instructions for discovering the gift. And that is why I think a lot of people have turned to other tools and other resources, what they call spiritual gift tests and online tools. Now, there are some things, maybe you've heard of them. There's something called the Enneagram. It's a personality test. You Google and you'll pop, this thing will pop up. It's become very popular. There's the Myers-Briggs type indicator test. And it's going to help you find out if you're an INTJ or ESFP. Uh, I was actually a part of a church where they use that kind of language to identify people. You're walking by and there's an elemental P and a GRQ and a whatever. The internet is really chock full with all these kinds of tests. And so we need to be careful because there are some dangers to these tests. Now I want you to hear me clearly when I say this. I, I do think that 
some tests might be helpful, but I would say for the most part, they're unhelpful and even maybe dangerous. Here's a couple reasons. Reason number one, the results of a spiritual gift, gift test, they're, they're just not inspired. And I think some people treat them like that. But you have no idea who created the test. You have no idea where the, the, the motivation comes from. Some of it is psychology. So while the questionnaire can be helpful, it's true that it can also be misleading. That's because these inventories and these things are produced by humans who have their own bias and their own preconceived ideas. You can actually come away from taking a spiritual inventory test. You can have the email results come to you, and you could think that you're gifted in a particular area that you're not. Or you can see that you're not gifted in a particular area and just totally avoid that gifting as a whole. Here's another reason why the spiritual gift tests are not very helpful, because sometimes they work as self-fulfilling prophecies. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we answer those questions according to how we like to view ourselves. And so even as we're filling it out, we have a bias. A spiritual gift test might reinforce your preconceived ideas about who you are and convince you that you're in the right spot when you're actually not. Those of you that have watched uh, American Idol or America's Got Talent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are people who go on those shows that think that they are God's gift to singing or to dancing. And sadly, or maybe they go on just for comic relief, but the judges have to say, like, what are you doing? Go do something else. Or don't quit your day job. Reason number three, spiritual gift tests can shortcut the process of self-discovery. And you say, but Dom, wouldn't it be really helpful to take a test and then to figure out exactly what I have so I can put my gift to use? And I would say that would be helpful if that's what these tests actually did. The tests give you this impression that you can somehow discover your spiritual gift and you can do it in the privacy of your home, on your computer, with the emailed results. But the reality is this, if you want to truly discover your gift, you're going to have to actually exercise that gift. And you're going to have to do it in the context of the local church. You see, there are some things that we'll only learn in the context of relating to other people. And I think I can probably say that stronger. You will not and cannot discover how God has gifted you in isolation from other people. And, and this is the reason why. The, the best way to identify our spiritual gifts is to be among the body. The early church didn't take spiritual gift tests. The disciples never filled out a scantron. They didn't take the surveys. And yet all of them discovered their gift and put those gifts to use. You say, well, how did they discover their gift? Well, they just simply obeyed Jesus, they loved one another, and they served each other. That's how they discovered their gift. Now, one author, he writes this. He says, in the New Testament, we don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to express it. No, he says this. Instead, we love one another, we serve one another, we help one another, and in so doing, we see how God has equipped us. God has endowed each of us with our own unique gift, but that gift is supposed to be an operation in the context of the church. Let me remind you of 1 Corinthians. We looked at this the last couple of weeks, chapter 12 and verse 7. It says this, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And what is the manifestation given for? It is for the common good. 
You see, when someone's gift is in operation, the expectation, the hope is that while that gift is being operated, someone is seeing a little bit of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14.12 says this, that we are to be zealous for spiritual gifts. So Paul says, be zealous for them. And the question is, why should I be zealous for spiritual gifts? To seek to abound for the edification of the church. Again, the main aim of a gift is that we would build up the body. We would edify one another. The Holy Spirit has not gifted Christians for the purpose of self-realization and self-actualization and self-expression. In fact, Thomas Schreiner, he's got a book on spiritual gifts. Very helpful. I read that book the last couple of weeks. He says this, In some respects, it isn't crucial that you recognize and know your gift. He says it's not crucial that you actually know what it is. Some worry excessively about their gift, as um, what their gift is, and as a result, they're distracted from doing actual ministry. He says if you're involved in the church, if you're serving other believers, you are exercising your gifts even if you don't know what they are. And that is the most important thing of all. At a previous church I was at, there were several senior saints. They actually split up the services. They had one service that was a contemporary service and one that was a traditional service. It's another way of saying young people and old people. There was a lot of people in that um, traditional service that had been there since the 70s. And there were so many there, you begin to talk to people and ask them, hey, how are you involved in ministry? What are you doing? Oh, we don't do ministry. The pastor does the ministry because he's the minister. And what you find is there are lots of folks like that who are just kind of sitting, watching, and looking to other people to do the work of ministry, and that is not what the Bible teaches. Every single one of us, if you are in Christ, if the Spirit is in you, all of us have been called to some form of ministry. If your focus, if you focus your time and energy on building up the body, even if you aren't sure what your particular gift is, God is going to bless that and reveal your gift to you. The sooner you realize you can't sit on the sidelines, I think the sooner you're going to realize, hey, this is one of my serving gifts, or this is one of my speaking gifts. And that's because discipleship and service, they work together. If we are really a church that prioritizes, if, if we're into making disciples, and if that is our aim and priority, then spiritual gifts should arise. Because we're with people, we're ministering to people, we're loving people, we're, we're teaching people. You say, that's good, Dom, but why don't you help us and give us some real tangible ways to better discern how we can serve with whatever gift we have. And I'm glad that you asked that because we're going to look at three factors that provide us with a little bit more clarity. This isn't unique to me, it's not original with me, there's actually a lot of books that go this route. But three things that will be helpful is, what is your affinity, what is your ability, and how is it being affirmed in the church? Your affinity, your ability, and the affirmation that comes from the church. So let's start with your affinity. Just ask yourself some of these questions. What ministry am I passionate about? Well, what, what interests me? What, what excites me? What needs in the church do I find myself gravitating toward? If you had extra money, if you had some extra time, what would you do with that? 
How do you think you would extend the kingdom, build the kingdom, if you had some extra resources? When you read the Bible, what kind of stories do you find yourself gravitating toward? So when you read that passage in Acts 6 about the deacons who are coming and administering and, and relieving the pastors so they can focus in on prayer and the teaching of the word, do you say, I love that. I want to be that. I want to do that. See, God has hardwired each of us in a certain way. And the more familiar you are with your tendencies and your habits and your patterns and your proclivities, the more you'll be able to identify what you enjoy doing. Some of you, you just get fired up about a particular ministry. I remember hearing so many people say, I will do whatever you need me to do, but just don't stick me with junior hires. Well, what's wrong with junior hires? You know, I, I started off in youth ministry. I love junior hires. They're all-nighters, and they had a great old time. But I think now that I get older, like the, the thought of an old night, all-nighter, I can't do that. And so I love people who say, I'm, I'm, I'll spend time with junior hires. I'll disciple junior hires. But, but what is that particular group of people that you feel attracted to? Maybe it's single moms. Maybe it's young marrieds. Maybe it's the widows. Maybe it's people who are struggling with addictions. What, what, what do you gravitate toward? Or, or maybe it's a particular kind of ministry. Maybe you really love to see Terry and Amy lead that hospitality ministry. And you say, hey, how can I come alongside you and support? How can I be involved? We want to open up our home. We want to barbecue. Whatever it is, we want to provide opportunities for people to grow. Maybe you have a desire for street evangelism. We see Josh out there just about every Saturday. And I, I am so full of joy to see other people joining him to say, Hey, we just we want to share the gospel with whoever walks by on Alvarado Street or wherever else. Maybe it's the Good News Club. Maybe it's a ministry we don't have, prison ministry. Maybe you have a heart for all the Hispanic people. We have so many people who walk in here who think they're coming to the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church is down there. Maybe you say, hey, I'm tired of that. I want to actually reach out to the Hispanic people in our community. See, some of you are just going to be drawn to particular types of people or particular type of ministries, and that's a good thing because that passion should not be separated from how God has gifted you. Leslie Flynn, in his book on the gifts, he says this, When God wants some ministry performed, he will certainly equip his chosen children with a corresponding gift. And along with the gift, he will incline that person's heart in the direction of that gift. And then he writes this, Strong desire for a gift may well signal its possession. Or to state it another way, a gift will usually be preceded by desire and followed by opportunity to use it. So what has God given you a heart for? Well, in addition to asking questions about your passion and what brings you joy in using a particular gift, you also need to ask the question about your ability is, what, what are you actually good at? I remember... Um, this wisdom that came from a commercial. Some of you will know where the commercial comes from. But in the commercial, it said this, the secret to life is to find out what it is in life that you don't do well and then don't go do that thing. You see, when we try to serve in a particular area of ministry where we have no ability and no aptitude, the chances are we're probably not going to be very successful. You know, I figured out pretty early on that I had the gift of teaching. And part of that was because no one else wanted to get up and stand in front of people and talk. But I said, I can, I can do that. I'll do that. 
But it would be a mistake to think that because I had maybe a gift of teaching, that that was a spiritual gift. Because they're not necessarily the same thing. But I think the key to helping us understand and hone into our gifts is just this. It's just trial and error. For those of you with children, think about how you've helped your kids kind of discover their abilities. How you've kind of walked with them and helped them understand The way that we think about this is they have to use their head, their heart, and their hands. So the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure they're using their head. Are they thinking about things correctly? Do they have a knowledge that they need to pursue a sport or an instrument or an activity or a hobby? Are we thinking about these things correctly? The second thing is you want their heart to be right. So before you just send them out and give them money and deploy their hands, you have to work on their hearts. Do you have the right motivation? Are you doing this to honor the Lord? Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. And so we help them try to guard against idols of sports, especially. We want to teach our kids, hey, it's always character over charisma. That comes first, character, integrity, hard work, discipline, delights. And then thirdly, you got your their head, their heart, and now their hands. you got to make sure their hands are right. And that simply just means at the end of the day, you can think correctly, you can feel correctly, but you actually just have to get out and do it. So with Titus, it was, uh, hey, you've got your swim cap, you've got your goggles, you've got your swim trunks, now jump in the pool, dude. Go, do it. At some point, you have to take your hands out of your pocket and just put them to the plow. And once you begin to do the work, God will reveal to you whether or not you're particularly gifted in that area. It's the same thing that's for believers. You know enough now about spiritual gifts to just go out and serve one another, to obey Jesus, and I think the Lord will make it clear. Now, here's a little disclaimer. I have to say this because you can put too much emphasis on your ability or on a gifting that you think you have, and then because you have that ability, you don't do anything else. A faithful stewardship of your gift doesn't mean that you cannot step into other ministry roles. For example, we've, we've said this on Sundays, we, we need some help in the children's ministry. You just, if there's a need, I can do that. But we're not saying that you have to teach. We're not saying that you have to necessarily prepare a sermon. But can you make sure like a kid doesn't run into a wall? You can do that. That would be helpful. I think sometimes we just say, well, I don't, don't naturally gravitate toward that thing, so I'm not going to do it. And imagine if we all did that. This is my lane. This is my spot. There's a need here. I'm not going to do that. Sweet Velma is in the hospital. Some of us have went to go visit her. I actually had to kick Terry out of there because he's reading the Bible. I said, all right, Terry, you're done, man. My turn. So I had to say, hey, let me, let me get in there. But it doesn't take much. You don't have to say, oh, I don't have the gift of compassion or the gift of mercy or the gift of teaching. You can just show up like Sylvie did, like Terry did, and just open up the Bible and see sweet Velma, 98 years old, with a really bad cough, and her son sitting there listening to the Bible being read. You don't need a whole lot of spiritual gifts for that. You just need to be full of the Spirit, to love that sweet saint, to want to be a blessing to her, and you will be blessed. As you see her light up and say, I just feel Jesus' presence here with me now. I am so thankful for our church. I love our church. You overthink that then none of us show up. So affinity, what do you care about? What are you passionate about? What brings you joy? Ability, what are you good at? And now affirmation. Affirmation. 
What do other discerning saints say about your gifting? Now, we need to keep in mind that we're not uh, the only, nor are we the best judge of our own gifts. And I say this is why membership in a church is so important, because we need one another. Coupled with our affinity and our ability to serve in a particular area of ministry, it's also important that our service be received and recognized by others as actually being useful to the body. So when I taught on the gifts yesterday at the conference, I had said at one point, I said, hey, like, afterwards, if you walk away from this conference and you feel like you're more confused about spiritual gifts and you don't have clarity on spiritual gifts, then maybe my gift isn't teaching. So I used that as just kind of an example. And then I had a line of guys come up to me afterwards, like they wanted just to affirm me, like, hey, you actually did really good. I, I learned something. One of the best things that I heard from uh, yesterday's conference was a dad who had a son who has just really been struggling in church, not listening, not really paying attention. He's kind of a junior high age. And so the dad said, hey, I just want to encourage you because my son has said that he's had no interest in the Bible, no, no desire to, to read or to study. And he said, but... But what you shared today, he just lit up, and he started asking questions about the Bible, and he wanted to know more. And he said, I think that you have the gift to help people understand the Bible. I was like, dude, well, you have the gift of encouragement, baby. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And the application of that verse, it's calling all of us. To be able to say to a brother, to a sister, hey, God has gifted you with a beautiful voice. God has gifted you with the ability to play the guitar and to be on the drums. And every week, I'm just so blessed by the way God has uniquely gifted you to minister to the body. Do we, do we tell the people who do music those kinds of things, just affirming their gift? Maybe you're down and really bummed and someone comes alongside you, just puts their arm around you and gives you a word of encouragement. Are you letting them know how valuable that is for your soul in that moment. We need to encourage one another and spur one another on and stimulate one another in our particular giftings. So a practical way to help us discover our gifts is our affinity, our ability, our affirmation. But I want to add just one more. I think this is helpful, and that's availability. What ministries currently right now are available to you to participate in? What are you available to give yourself to in this particular season of life? Are there some things that maybe you can chase down? Maybe, like I said, there's a ministry that we don't have that you say, hey, Dom, hey, I think it'd be great if we did this. I, I don't think that I'm going to fight you a whole lot. If, if God is going to be glorified in that, people are going to be reached for the gospel, that the saints are going to be encouraged, I'm not going to wrestle you down with that thing. I think Nick and I would welcome that. We'd be encouraged by that. So ask yourself, well, what, what's available or what, what can I create? You can find jobs in a church that need to get done and just get them done. In order to use your gifts, you're going to need some sort of platform. And it's our job, it's our responsibility as the shepherds to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But keep your eyes out for the needs. Like, actually, look at the bulletin. Listen to Tim when he comes up and does announcements. Um, there, there are lots of things that get communicated in the life of a church that we, we need help. If you devote yourself to praying, to giving, to helping, to teaching, to serving, to exhorting the people around us, the likelihood is that your gifts will begin to become more clear. Okay, so we've looked at a definition. We looked at the description. 
The discovery of gifts, now let's turn our attention to the development of these gifts, the development of our spiritual gifts. You realize that we're all in the process of becoming more like Jesus, and our gifts are in the process of becoming more refined and useful in the Lord's service. And you should have this attitude, if the Lord decides to not come back today and tomorrow, and maybe it's 10, 15, 20 years, whatever you have, whatever particular gifting you have, it should be sharpened and refined so that 15 years from now, hopefully I'm going to be a better teacher. And 15 years from now, you'll be better at whatever it is the Lord has gifted you to do. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Look at verse 4 of Romans 12. Just a good reminder for how we should be developing our spiritual gifts. This is what it says in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. But having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy in agreement with the faith, or service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now look back in the text there. He uses a few words. He uses generously, diligently, cheerfully. And what he's describing is that these things are growing. They're maturing, they're being refined, they're being cultivated. Because you can be, you can, you can encourage without really being an encouraging person. It's possible to give without doing it generously. It's possible to show mercy without being cheerful about it. And so Paul's pastoral concern is for us not only to discover these gifts, but to get better at them. That's his desire. He wants us to use our gifting to its fullest capacity. He doesn't want us riding on empty, but he wants us to have a full tank. All of our gifts must be exercised to the fullest capacity. And you say, well, Dom, like, aren't these things spiritual gifts that are grace-given? Yeah, they're, they're given freely, but we need to put work into refining them. It's our responsibility to develop and utilize them. Paul says this in 2 Timothy he says to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. The ESV says to, to fan into flame, to stir up the gift, Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterances. You see, Paul had to remind Timothy, probably because maybe he lost sight, maybe he lost motivation. He he was a, a little timid, maybe fearful of man. And the reality is we can slip into not utilizing our gifts and using them for God's glory because maybe we're getting distracted. But Paul implores him, exhorts him, use your gifts. The effective use of our gifts will not occur without diligent effort on our part. Jerry Bridges writes this. He says, although gifts are sovereignly bestowed and effective Exercises involve, it involves hard work and diligent effort. He says, it is also true that no gift is exercised apart from faith in Christ. The necessity of conscious dependence on Christ for his enabling power is a fundamental fact for every aspect of the Christian life, whether in spiritual growth in our own lives or in service within the body. 
What's the translation of that? Look, if you want to grow in your giftedness, then you have to be in the Word of God. Because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? One more time, apart from me, you can do what? But if you are abiding in Christ, resting in Christ, growing in Christ, you will find that your gifts are only going to be magnified, encouraged, strengthened, and in turn be a blessing to others. So we can grow. We can grow in our giftings, accuracy and effectiveness. The last thing we want is underdeveloped gifts. Underdeveloped gifts. You say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, it's like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, what's going to happen to it? It atrophies. When we don't use our gifts, the reality is we disobey God and we deprive the church from blessing. So listen, church, cultivate your gifts. Grow your gifts. I once had someone ask me, he said, hey, what do you do all week? And I said, well, a big part of my week is studying and praying and learning, reading. And he said, well, didn't you go to school for that? And he was being honest. I think he really wanted to, to know, like, do you have to keep doing that? And you just don't show up to Sunday and just start preaching. There's, there's quite a bit of work that goes into to studying and preparing. And so I said, hey, it's a, it really is a gift to be able to, to teach, but that teaching, it needs to be met with diligent study, a lot of focus and a lot of prayer. My gift of teaching assumes that I continue to study, I continue to learn, I continue to grow. I can't rely on past sermons and past experiences. I can't walk up to the pulpit after doing nothing all week. And the same is true for each and every one of you. You need to continue to sharpen and refine each of your gifts. You can't rely on what you used to do in the past. But you do need to daily be coming to the Word and being filled, because if you're not being filled, then you really have nothing to offer to anyone else. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, I do believe it is before every Christian either to serve his God with all of his heart or to fall into sin. I believe we must either go forward or we must fall. The rule is in Christian life, if we do not bring forth fruit and to the Lord our God, we shall lose even our leaves. And I love the way he puts this and stand like winter trees, bare and withered. You see, every individual believer, every individual believer is responsible to grow in their gifting. And this is why I feel a weight. Let not all of you desire to become teachers, my brothers, knowing that you will incur stricter judgment. Well, what, what, what do we have to teach? This right here. That all of us are gifted and we need to use our gifting. The problem that happens in a lot of churches our pastors are not equippers, they're dequippers. John Stott writes this. He refers to dequipping ministry as clerical domination of the laity. In other words, you just let the professionals do it. He quotes this 1906 pap uh, papal encyclical entitled Demeter Nos, and this is what it says. As for the masses, they have no other right than of letting themselves be led and of following their pastors as a docile flock. So let's just make you as ignorant as possible. You can't study the scriptures for yourself. You can't interpret the scriptures from yourself. 
You let us do all the work. And sadly, that's kind of the predominant mentality in a lot of Roman Catholic churches, where people are going and they're, they're not able to discern, they're not able to exegete the text themselves. We want you to be so knowledgeable of the word that if I ever get up here, if Nick ever gets up here, if anyone ever gets up here and says anything that doesn't accord with the scripture, you're like, eh, hold on. You say, well, how do you get to coming to a faulty conclusion where the ministers do all the work and the church doesn't? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll show you exactly how you get there. Ephesians 4, look at verse 11. It is a misreading of the text. Ephesians 4, you there? Verse 11 says this. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, if you're a KJV-only type of person, you'll notice that there is a comma and there's not a comma. But the KGV puts a comma after the word saints, which makes the verse say that the leaders of the church are tasked with three responsibilities. They're the ones that equip the saints, they're the ones that must do the work of service, and they're the ones that must build up the church. When in fact, that is not what this, the text is saying. It is our responsibility to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you read the text like that, then it makes sense just to sit back and watch the ordained ministers do all the work. But that was never God's intent for the church. Why? Because we are all priests. We are all given a commission. We're all gifted. We're all called to use our gifts. And so we just can't sit back and watch. We've looked at the definition, the description, the discovery, the development, and now finally the deployment. The deployment of our gifts. Once you understand what your spiritual gift is and what particular package of gifts you have, and as you're in the process of developing these gifts, we have to deploy them. Those of you that are in the military, you know exactly what this means, to be deployed. Some of you love it, some of you hate it. You say, well, what does deployment mean? It just means you're moving the troops, you're moving the equipment, and you're putting them into a position for military action. So many of you students came, you, you came ready to study. Some of you, it's very intensive, it's difficult. I know this because I talked to you. Some of you are here for a year, for two, maybe three, but the training is immersive. You put all these hours into study, you're taking exams, you're preparing yourself. Why? To be useful for the country. How much more? How much more should we be preparing and studying and disciplining ourselves for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Who wants to send us out to make maximum impact for the kingdom? Let me just give you Four brief considerations as we think about this deployment of our gifts. We need to deploy our gifts immediately, humbly, responsibly, and thankfully. Immediately. Don't wait. Paul had no problem exhorting his brother to get to work. In Colossians, he writes this in chapter 4, Say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord 
that you may fulfill it. We don't know who this dude is, but Paul calls him out and says, Brother, take heed to the ministry that God has called you to and get to it. The existence of a gift is a call to exercise it. When I tore my Achilles last year, um, maybe some of you didn't notice, but my, my leg shrunk. Maybe you say, Dom, you already had chicken legs, but my right leg especially looked like a pirate, just like a little tiny leg. And I said, Doctor, how am I going to get back to running and jumping and leaping and flipping? Probably not flipping anymore, but he said, well, the only thing you need to do is you, just get, you have to exercise it. You have to, you have to get out and just start walking every day. Just keep exercising and exercising and exercising, and eventually it'll get strong again. Well, Paul tells us the same thing. You have to exercise your gift. You have to put it to use. Your gift is an instrument. It's not an ornament. You have to put it to use. Paul advised Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. He says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. He's saying refine your gifts so that you can be a blessing to other people. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. To Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Faithful use of a gift brings increased effectiveness in the way that we serve the body. Deployment is the only way to prevent a gift's lapse or a collapse. In other words, if you don't use it, you might lose it. So get to using your gifts. Employ it for the work of the Lord. Do it immediately. But also, listen, we need to do it humbly. Just a couple passages back in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this, For through the grace given to me, I say to each one among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And the word that keeps recurring there is thinking, 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 because Paul says you need to be sober-minded, you need to be level-headed, don't overestimate your gift. Have sound judgments. In verse 16 of chapter 12, he says, By being of the same mind toward one another and not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble. Don't be wise in your own mind. When we call attention to our gifts, God doesn't get the glory. But when we come humbly and use our gifts, he gets the glory and people are encouraged. Galatians 6.3 says, If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. 1 Corinthians 4.7 he who, for who regards you as superior, and what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And the verse to sum it all up is found in 1 Corinthians 13. And you can quote it with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. And it is not puffed up. Humility in our thinking is not an overestimation. It's not an underestimation. But it is an accurate biblical estimation. Deploy your gift immediately, humbly, responsibly. First Peter 4.10 says this, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each of us has been given the responsibility of stewardship. So just like your money and just like your time, a gift doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to God. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to offer up to him? You see, the goal 
is not the gift, but it's the gateway. The gifts are not toys to be played with. They're not trophies to be shelved, but they're tools used to build up the body. We're going to be more effective as we put these gifts to use. So steward your gift. Don't bury. Don't bury your talents. Don't let it lie dormant, but deploy it. And then finally, just deploy your gift, thankfully. Church, aren't you grateful that the Lord saved you? That the Spirit of God dwells in you? That He's promised to sanctify you and perfect you all the way to the end? He's doing this work in you. And one of the best ways to be thankful, to show your gratitude, is to actually use the gifts that He's given you. And keep in mind always that our gifts are intended to help us grow in the knowledge and love for Christ. And when that's happening, the church is going to be built up. Let me finish with a story. A little over 200 years ago, the French emperor, Napoleon Bonaparte, he pulled out his map. And on the map, he saw China. And all of his commanders and generals are wondering if Napoleon is crazy enough to go after China. Are we actually going to go to war with China? He had a thirst for world domination, so he takes out his pointer, and he's hovering over China, and he's looking at it and looking at them, and this is what he says. Gentlemen, there lies a sleeping giant. Let her sleep, for if she awakes, she will disturb the world. Napoleon's strategy was just to let it go. I think that's how Satan works. I think that's how his demons work. We have infinite power. The Spirit's presence in us. We have all the authority that Jesus has. He has he's equipped us to advance this kingdom. And we let that power just sleep. And don't put it to use. When we don't use our gifts, when we don't advance the kingdom, when we don't build up the body, Satan is sitting back saying, don't wake him up. Look, I'm just showing him what's up there. Let's pray. Father, we know from your word that the church is unstoppable. We know that Christ is building the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We know that Jesus' desire is that each and every one of us use our gifts to make much of Christ, to call sinners to repentance, to encourage the downtrodden, to help the weary, to provide hope for the destitute, to provide wisdom for the naive. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights that does not change like shifting shadows. Lord, you have been so good to, to not leave us to ourselves, to figure things out on our own, but you've given us your spirit. Christ ascended on high and gave gifts to men, and each of us, with a gift, we're to use it. So, Father, we pray, first and foremost, that you would forgive us for being lackadaisical, 
for being negligent, for being ignorant, for sitting back and just waiting for other people to, to step up, to, to evangelize, to minister to the students, to minister to the children. Lord, if we, we all, I'm sure, feel a tinge of that conviction. And so we're grateful for your word and how your word is a corrective. We're grateful for the way that your word exhorts us and challenges us and encourages us. We're thankful for forgiveness and mercy and grace and power and strength to change the direction of our life, the priorities of our life, the way that we use our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure. Oh God, would we be the kind of people who joyfully give it all because Jesus is worthy. Help us, Lord, we pray, to not just respond to this with affirmation, but with obedience. We pray in Christ's name.